Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise and it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Partial is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Give a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a nation. 17 years, the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. Hi, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. Happy Wednesday to you. We've got lots of news, and let me get started right away. If you're counting, this is day 103 in the war in Israel. So we're going to start with some reports coming from the Jewish state. The leader of Israel's Northern Command said IDF forces are conducting training exercises for an invasion of Lebanon as Hezbollah continues to fire rockets into Israel, where more than 100,000 residents have been evacuated. Israel responded, striking dozens of Hezbollah targets Tuesday in Lebanon. A former IDF spokesman says time is running out for a diplomatic solution in the north. In Gaza, Israeli troops continue to surround Hamas strongholds in the southern city of Khan Yunus, And forces also dismantled the major tunnel connecting the northern and southern Gaza Strip. The New York Times reported that the Hamas tunnel network was more extensive than Israel had believed before the war, reaching hundreds of miles with more than 5,000 entrances. To give you a perspective on this, if you've ever seen a a map of the tube in London and all of the stops, that's where the famous Mind the Gap statement comes from. That very complex map is only 55% of the size of the tunnels that now have been discovered made by the terrorist organization. I turn to my friends at CBN News for an update this time, Julie Stahl. 
As Hezbollah continues to launch artillery and rocket strikes against Israel, the IDF is preparing for an offensive inside Lebanon. We're more prepared for this than ever before, even for tonight if needed, and we'll continue and strengthen our preparations and our readiness moving forward. Earlier this week, a Hezbollah anti-tank missile hit a home in Kfar Yuval, killing a 70-year-old woman and her son. Due to the threat from Hezbollah, some 100,000 Israelis evacuated their homes and communities in northern Israel. Many are living in hotels. We are much closer uh, to the border than most of the kibbutzim in, in the Gaza Strip. And it's, it's scary, I must say. And we need to be sure that we're safe in order to come and live here again in our homes. Former IDF spokesman Jonathan Conriquez told CBN News that Israel has responded to attacks with restraint, but time is running out for diplomacy to avert a full-blown war. The time really is now for any such deal to come into effect. What Israel, I think, needs in order for Israeli civilians to go home, to their homes, is for a seven or 10 kilometer buffer zone to be created inside Lebanon, where there's simply no access for the worst Hezbollah terrorists to get close to the border. Conrique says Hezbollah is much stronger than Hamas. We're talking about 130,000 rockets, we're talking about bigger payloads, and we're talking about much bigger range, including high-quality weapons that can strike specific locations in Israel. So far, UNIFIL, the UN peacekeeping body that has been in southern Lebanon since 1978, hasn't managed to keep the border safe. Israel needs to deal with Hezbollah's massive arsenal. But the most imminent threat is access to Israeli civilians across that 80-mile border mm -hmm. that separates between Israel and, uh, and Lebanon, and that is non-negotiable. Meanwhile in Gaza, medical aid is being delivered to dozens of hostages held by Hamas in a deal brokered by France and Qatar. The Biden administration this week sent a National Security Council official to help negotiate another deal for the release of more hostages. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Jerusalem. And in the meantime, Gaza is continuing an onslaught against Israel with over 50 rockets being launched from Gaza. Raises an interesting question, does it not? How does a particularly poor part of the world manage to continue to have these munitions? Answer, Iran. Here's a report from I-24 News in Israel. It may be day 102, but the images are similar to those of day one. A barrage of more than 50 rockets was fired from the Gaza Strip on Tuesday morning to the city of Netivot. The tactic, as far as Hamas is clear, even the best defense system in the world cannot intercept 50 rockets fired in one place at the same time. Some of them will eventually hit. Various rockets and shrapnel from the interceptors fell in the city and neighboring areas. Plenty of damage was reported. Fortunately, there were no casualties, but there was a lot of concern. After three months of this evil, Hamas can still fire so many rockets. I thought we took care of them. I thought they were eliminated. The rockets were fired from the central part of the Gaza Strip only a day after the Golani Brigade left the area and returned to Israeli territory after reportedly clearing it. 
We have completed the operational stages. We said in advance the intense ground maneuver will last three months. In the northern Gaza Strip, that stage has ended. Following the barrage to Netivot and another large one Monday night at the city of Zderot, facing the northern Gaza Strip, questions are being raised regarding the reality described by the defense minister. Another cabinet minister, Gidon Saar, is demanding to convene the security cabinet, adding that decreasing the level of forces in the Strip is wrong. The IDF, meanwhile, continues to find and destroy more rockets and launchers, such as these ones found in the northern Gaza town of Betlaya. But the images Tuesday morning from Netivot suggest there is still a very long way to go before Hamas is, as the Israeli government promised to do, defeated. Meanwhile, closer to home in one of those rare but important moments, a bipartisan resolution has been introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives condemning, quote, rape and sexual violence committed by Hamas in its war against Israel. Representative Louise Frankel, a Democrat from Florida, introduced the resolution. It's now being co-led by Representatives Mario Diaz-Balart, Republican from Florida, Kathy Manning, Democrat from North Carolina, and Jen Kiggins, a Republican from Virginia. The resolution currently has 149 co-sponsors, as well as APAC, the American Jewish Committee, Hadassah, and other Jewish and pro-Israel groups who have endorsed it. This resolution, according to Diaz-Balart, is a testament of the unwavering solidarity of Congress in the condemnation of the ruthlessness perpetuated by Hamas. Hamas's crimes are unfathomable in their depravity and inhumanity. We must roundly condemn this evil, hold the perpetrators accountable, and work to ensure it never happens again. Not only is this significant because it's bipartisan, it's significant for its moral clarity. Let's hope every member of the House signs the resolution. Back after this. The truths of the Christian faith are powerfully clear and wonderfully deep, but sometimes we don't fully understand what we believe. That's why I've chosen I Believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith as this month's truth tool. Know the foundations of faith and reinvigorate your walk with Jesus. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. You know, if you listen regularly, that we focus on the persecuted church with great repetitively because we really and truly want us to be lifting up our brothers and sisters who have paid a price for saying, yes, Lord. So we've talked earlier this month that uh, the United States has released their list of countries of particular concern. And the religious, the International Religious Liberty Commission responded immediately because there were a couple of countries that weren't on there, like India and Nigeria, that should have been on there. But January is also very significant. I, among many others, wait for Open Doors USA to release their what they call World Watch List. And they enumerate countries of very serious concern where it's very difficult to have any kind of religious liberty whatsoever. And what I appreciate is the way that they hold on the materials they release them, and both uh, faith-based and secular press are interested in finding out what's going on, which is fabulous. Get the word out on the persecuted church. Ryan Brown serves as Open Doors USA chief executive, and that report was just released today. So, Ryan, I welcome you. I'm thrilled you're here because it's always important, I think, for us to get an update. And I'll start where I ask every year, and by the way, Open Doors has released this report for multiple years, country number one is who, and is this a new slot or a repetitive slot for that country? 
Well, thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity to join you and the, and the listeners here today and, and just, like you said, bring light to, to this subject. And uh, the, the number one spot, no stranger to that spot, unfortunately, but it, it is once again North Korea. That's a spot that they have occupied most years other than a, a year or so ago where they were um, temporarily displaced by Afghanistan. But uh, the rights of Christians there continue to be under assault. Wow. So tell us, if you would, Ryan, the top 10, and then we'll break them down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, top on the list is North Korea. Uh, Again, this year, they've uh, held that spot for the better part of 20 years. Number two, Somalia. Uh, Three is Libya. Uh, Number four is Eritrea. Uh, Number five is Yemen. Number six is Nigeria. Uh, Number seven is Pakistan. Eight is Sudan. Nine is Iran, and then 10 is Afghanistan. Wow. Now, I want to point out immediately something that was not on the State Department's list of countries of particular concern, and that is you just enumerated number six, Nigeria, and number 11, India. From Open Door's perspective, why was it important that they were included on that list? Well, it's that's basically what the numbers say as far as when you take a look at the, the, the ways in which persecution is observed and measured. Um, you know, this this was not subjective. This is, uh, you know, what, what the data shows. And so you take a look at a country like Nigeria and um, this past year, there were more Christians that were um, martyred for their faith than all other countries in the world combined. And mm. so, uh, you know, the, the violence that characterizes the persecution there just continues at alarming levels. Um, and so it, number six on the list is where Nigeria is. And in many cases, it, it is the, the epicenter of violence that we're seeing spread throughout uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And so let me pause, Ryan, for a minute, because, you know, we're very concerned because the country is split in some ways with the way there's a division with the Christians in one area and the Muslims in another area. What is the government of Nigeria trying to do to mitigate this onslaught against Christians? Just Christmas Eve, for example, what was it, 140 Nigerians that were killed? Well, uh, yes, I mean, the, 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 the tragedy continues. And um, the I think part of the problem is that um, and this is not necessarily unique in, in Nigeria. There, there are several countries where, where this is the case, but where the the state is weak, so to speak, um, where there are um, you know fragile state type of, of government situations, Christians can become uh, disproportionately targeted in those areas when they have actors that are seeking to create greater instability within the region, Christians become easy targets. Mm-hmm. And be, that's because, you know, typically they're, they're last in line, so to speak, as far as, you know, the protections the government are looking to afford in, in, in so many ways, and that, that certainly becomes those, those physical protections. And so often they can be acted upon and that violence can be carried out with impunity. And so Christians in, in these areas continue to suffer violence in extreme natures. Absolutely. In some of the data that you released today, you point out that in India, there's been a nine-fold increase in Christian fatalities since last year, 17 to 160. Give me your thoughts on why you think we're seeing an uptick. Yeah, um, you know, in, in all fairness, there are some areas in India that, that have seen some improvement um, where you know, some of the, the, the governments uh, in, in power in certain regions have been 
uh, removed from office and and you know, as the new entity step in there there is some reason for for optimism but that is not the case throughout India and, and certainly you know the areas that you're referring to uh, continue to be a unfortunately a, a, a hotbed of activity as it relates to, to persecution um, you know we have seen that that violence not just in the death toll but as well within the, the physical violence carried out as far as beatings and torture as far as violence against property. Uh, churches that have been destroyed, uh, Christian-run uh, schools or, or hospitals or those types of things, as well as individual residences of, of individuals that uh, profess the faith in Christ have been targeted and, and vandalized or destroyed. So that, that violence continues throughout India to take uh, many shapes and forms, but continues to escalate. Yeah, Absolutely. This is where I think it's imperative that we understand to pray with specificity geopolitics. So we should point out that there is an election in India this year. We should also point out that the why religious liberty is imperative is it's for any religious minority in India that's suffering as well. So, for example, this is a threat to the Muslims because it's a Hindu domination right now. So this election will come up. We need to be praying because there seems to be. Uh, as I observe the the back and forth of that government, that there seems to be a desire to establish a Hinduistic government throughout and that there is not an all-comers policy for any other religious expression. There have been parties where that, that is certainly the case, and uh, we have seen a rise in Hindu extremism, um, and that violence is certainly a factor there. Yeah. Ryan, I'm so glad I have another segment with you. When we come back, tell me if there's any country that changed dramatically in the table of uh, scores that you just released today. If some country is on that wasn't there last year, or if there's a country that perhaps may have fallen lower that had one of the top 10 positions. Ryan Brown is with us. He is currently the CEO of Open Doors USA. I have a link on my information page so you can cull through this data. It's extremely important. And again, as you're praying for those who've been led away in chains, you can pray specifically for countries as a result of this Open Doors World Watch List. Back after this. We have the privilege of speaking with Ryan Brown, who serves as Open Doors USA as Chief Executive Officer. Today's a big day for Open Doors because this is when they release their annual World Watch List. They've been doing this for years. It's always a significant event. My fervent prayer does, it does a couple of things. Number one, because this gets released in Washington, D.C., that those policymakers will pick up this report and those who have the authority based on where they serve in the government, whether it's on the Hill or in the State Department, may use this as a guidepost for understanding what countries uh, need to be watched carefully. And this all gets into aid and trade, et cetera. So there are so many ten, uh, tangential outreaches but second of all, for the church to have a prayer list, a wake-up call, if you will, to know how to pray specifically for so many countries where it is difficult. And remember, in the United States, our founders had the wisdom to make the first right the freedom of religion. It is the peg on which all other liberties are hung. And in any country where there is not religious liberty, you likewise will see that there's not freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, the uh, freedom of worship. So they're all integrally connected with one another. So Ryan, let me go to the question I posited just before the break, which is if you look at the top 10 as you shared it with us, is there any country that dropped significantly or made that top 10 list that wasn't there last year? You know, with the top 10, it, it, honestly, it was a little bit of a reshuffling of, of, of the deck, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, those, those countries, unfortunately, have held uh, those positions pretty strongly uh, while they've moved up and down within the list. Um, where we've seen some of the major movers are actually outside of that top 10. Nicaragua, for example, 
um, uh, an area that has last year made its first entrance into the list at number 50. This year jumped, was one of the largest jumpers uh, up to, to the 30th spot. Um, that, you know, that the government there continues to see uh, Christians as a threat to the state. And Ortega's government has become more and more overt and more and more uh, deliberate in how they are looking to persecute the church to try to, to silence it. Wow. China is number 19, which I found very interesting. And there are countries above it, like Algeria and Mali and Iraq. And yet we know that there is, through President Xi, this marked uptick against Christians, the bulldozing churches, etc. cetera. Uh, again, yeah. you're, you don't pick this on your own. This isn't subjective through uh, open doors. This is really based on data. In fact, if I have the time, I'm going to ask you to tell me the methodology. But were you surprised to see China at number 19 and not higher on the list? Uh, not necessarily surprised in the fact that, you know, it's one of, if I can use the expression that, you know, their, their um, you know, impact is bigger than their punch, so to speak, that mm-hmm. they, um, in, in many ways, they have been an exporter of some of the, the flavors and, and the style of, of persecution we've seen, specifically in that, that idea of digital surveillance. Um, you know, mentioned Nicaragua a moment ago, and they have become, um, as, as well as other um, countries throughout uh, sub-Saharan Africa, have become, you know, customers of, of the technologies that, uh, you know, the governments are utilizing to uh, track individuals and to violate their, their their personal liberties. And so, you know, China continues to have, have impact um you know, dramatic impact, not just within the borders, but it's unfortunately something that they've continued to export. Wow. Let me touch on Molly real quick. By the way, there's a ton of information here. So again, I commend to my listeners that they go to our information page. I've got a link so that you can now see this data. It's all been embargoed until today. Now you're free to read it. But you talk about Mali, which is interesting. This is a part of world history most people don't understand. So the French move out in 2022 and a group called the Wagner Group comes in. Explain this. Yeah. So uh, Russian um, ties there and uh, very, very um, forceful, I guess, in in their um, manners in which they are looking to to exert control. And so they continue to have ripple effects throughout the region. Wow. And so the the Wagner Group is tied back to Russia? That is uh, correct. My understanding, yes. Wow. Amazing. Unbelievable. So uh, tell me quickly, if you will, excuse me, about the methodology. You've got six scores, private life, family life, community life, national life, church life, and violence. How is the scoring done? Yeah, so I think one of the things that, that makes our reporting unique is uh, it is done through our, our on-the-ground presence and, and networks that we have. And again, mm-hmm. uh, the ministry with, with 70 years worth of history, those uh, networks and um, have been extensive. Uh, there are literally thousands of, of individuals that contribute to the data that is compiled and sifted through and, and worked with. And as you mentioned, there, there are several different areas that guides that um, in which they, they look to, to gauge these things everywhere from, you know, the, the government's receptivity and, and openness and the posture that they take towards uh, Christian freedoms to the individual expressions and, and things on, on a family level. You know, as a person comes to Christ, are they ostracized by their family? Do Can they potentially suffer uh, violence at the hands of, of family members who reject that uh, that conversion and that profession in Christ? So across that, that gamut and, and those, those spectrums of, you know, the, these macro to, to very 
personal um, uh, manifestations of that persecution, we have uh, you know, data pools in, in which we, we look to uh, go out and, and collect data points on, on these things through those on-the-ground networks. This is compiled, sifted through, and then ranked accordingly. Wow. So, Ryan, how will you at Open Doors use this world watch list? Yes, yeah, great question, and, and thank you. And, and you know, you mentioned it a, a few moments ago. Um, you know, I think that, that it starts with awareness, um, drawing attention to these issues. But our hope is that it, it doesn't stop with awareness. I mean, honestly, awareness can can lead to, to, to fear. Uh, but I think Christ calls us to more. He calls you know Christian individuals to stand up and and, and prayer, uh, to lift up. And so, throughout the World Watch List, in addition to the data and the information, you'll see prayer points associated with each and every one of those countries by which Christians can stand and lock arms with our persecuted brothers and sisters and identify with them through prayer. I just want to say on behalf of not only myself, but people listening to you all across the country, thank you for the stellar work that Open Doors has done for oh so many years for the persecuted church. And thank you for keeping this issue ever before us. We are to pray for our brothers and sisters, and you help us do that. Thank you, Ryan. Back after this. We live in a culture that's infatuated with the latest fads, but Ephesians 4.15 calls for us to be stable. No longer infants, Paul said, tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching. On In the Market, we're exposing current trends and finding our balance by standing on the solid foundation of God's Word. To get exclusive behind-the-scenes information and benefits, become a partial partner. Call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Well, I have to tell you, excitement is building in my town here of Washington, D.C., as we prepare for the 51st annual March for Life. God bless Nellie Gray, who's now stepped into eternity. But she said when the road decision was handed down that no matter the weather, that we would continue to march for those precious babies until Roe is dismantled and abortion is eradicated. So march they do. And the weather sometimes has been glorious and other times it has been brutal. It might be a little cold when they come to my town on Friday, but come they will. Hundreds of thousands of them of all ages from buses from every corner of the country. It is a magnificent march. It is wonderfully respected by those in authority because uh, they're not burning down buildings and tearing down fences. They are marching and praying and singing And they do a wonderful job even of cleaning up after themselves when the march is over. And after they've had a wonderful rally, the audio of which we'll capture for you and share it with you, because if you can't come to Washington, I'll certainly bring it to you. They end at the steps of the United States Supreme Court where they pray and where women who have had abortions will give their testimony on why they won't be silent anymore. It's a magnificent time. In fact, it's a necessary time because even though the house that Roe built has been dismantled, now we have 50 iterations of what we do with abortion on demand as this has been kicked back to the states. And it's going to be a monstrous issue in the 2024 election. So we need to know. But closer to home, you know, God made us not owners, but managers of money. We are stewards. And therefore, when we give money away to charitable organizations, we need to know that we're honoring the Lord and we're doing the right thing when we give to charitable organizations. Well, God bless the American Life League, who now have a brand new resource for those who will come to the March for Life. I've also made it available to you on my information page as well. But I'm often asked, I'd like to give to a pro-life organization. Can I make sure that they are, in fact, pro-life? Or I'd like to give to fill-in-the-blank whatever charity you're interested in. Can I make sure that my dollars are not going to end up supporting something that is antithetical to the Word of God and what I believe in when it comes to the preciousness 
of the sanctity of human life. Well, to break this down for us is Hugh Brown. He's the executive VP of the American Life League, serves on the board. And if you've been in the pro-life movement for a long time, you know that he is the son of Judy Brown, who co-founded the organization along with her husband back in 1979. They are a marvelous organization, and I praise God for all the work they have, are, and will be doing. So, Hugh, the warmest of welcomes. You're tucked into D.C. now because you're there for the events. They're actually going to start tonight, and they'll go through for several days now. But tell me about the—I'm going I'm to ask a question before that. I'm not going to operate on assumptions. For friends who are new, tell our friends about the American Life League who don't have a point of reference. I've known you for decades, so I want my friends listening to understand about AU. Talk about that. Of course. Yeah, Janet, thank you for having me. So you mentioned Nellie Gray in the March for Life. Uh, My mother was involved in the very first one. Uh, I was Mm. born in 1968, and that's what got her involved in the pro-life movement. In the state of Washington in the late 60s, they were looking to, they had Referendum 20, which was looking to, working to legalize abortion. Uh, And she just thought that that was just an an abomination. So she was actually with National Right to Life for, for many years. Mm-hmm. And in the late 70s, um, founded the American Life League with my father because she wanted an organization that was faithful to the teachings of no exceptions, no compromise, that all life, no matter how you are created, is valuable. And sadly, in our lifetime, that now includes uh, the sick, the elderly, the infirmed, uh, the mentally ill, where in this country and in other places, they, they murder people who you know um, are, are nearing the end of life. Or in Canada, as an example, uh, a teenager who simply calls himself depressed can now end his own life legally. So the American Life League stands firm on the teachings that all life matters, all life is valuable, all life is a gift, and we fight the devil every day. That's exactly what we do. And amen, and please don't ever stop. So you came up with this brilliant idea, because this is a brand new resource, called the Charity Watch List. Tell me what was the catalyst for this idea, and then we'll get into what the the watch list is uh, saying. Sure, of course. So the, the American Life League is 44 years old. And in those 44 years, I, I've been involved most recently, uh, very involved because my father passed, my mother's getting older and really spent some time caring for my dad and got sick in the process and is now back on her feet. But in immersing myself in the organization and in talking to our supporters, they'll ask us questions we don't know how to answer. For example, you know, they support us, but hey, should we support the American Red Cross? Well, we're not in a position to answer that question. So just based, based on the fact that we have been overwhelmed in the last decade with people looking for the truth, because the American Life League is known for one thing, and that's telling the truth. And it's come, if you want to look at it from a worldly perspective, it's come at great cost. I mean, Judy's we've been admonished by uh, organizations, by businesses, by uh, clergy, by these people, the other people. They, they call us judgmental or whatever, but the point is we tell the truth. Mm. So in response to, to, in response to donors— in response to supporters, in response to, to folks like you and I that just want to know, you know, should we support this organization? We have researchers that look at their document, look at the documents of those organizations, look at their tax returns, look at their websites, look at their grant, the, the grants that they fund. And we're shocked to find that many of these organizations that we've known the names our whole lives support uh, contraception support Planned Parenthood, the direct killing of children, and now mutilization of children with this transgender evil ideology, Mm. support this whole alphabet soup, LBGT uh, agenda, Uh, support uh, embryonic stem cell research, the the, the murder of of created human beings in, in, in in the embryonic state where they do research on them, and support all types of evil. 
and then try to hide behind the fact that, well, we're a large organization with a lot of different divisions and different branches and different affiliates, and they make their own funding decisions. But we, we, we personally don't support I mean, just the same evil we hear over and over and over that justifies evil, that allows evil. And we, uh, folks listening have to take a stand. I mean, you have, as you said, you control your, your money's a gift. It's a gift from God. That's right. Be good stewards of it and, and do good things with it. And you need to know the truth. And, and two, I bet you and I are graduates of the same school of thought that says it's one thing to plead ignorance, but once you know, you're accountable. And that's why this resource, I think, is invaluable, because now you can't say, oh, I didn't know. Well, what you did is you put before us information and then said, now make a choice, just like we're told in Deuteronomy. I put before you life and death. Now choose life. So with your donor dollars, nobody forces you to give to a charity. But if you're like me, I want to be accountable for every dollar I give if I'm giving to a charity, a 501c3. So how did you cull this list together? Because there's a lot, and we're going to get into this. There's a very, there aren't very many recognizable names. Clearly, it's not the list of every charity that exists in this country. So how did you choose the selection of charities? So the selection of the charities, and I actually believe it or not, has come at the request in, in, in some cases from supporters, in some cases from people who are not supporters, they call to say, I have, I have studied your list. Can you tell me about an, this particular organization? And we will take a look. Um, it has come at the request of some organizations. You know, we've had people that have belonged to organizations for a very long time and say, listen, I'm heartbroken at some of the things that I know this organization is doing. And in one case, somebody that uh, had still worked for this organization for 40 to 45 years is what she said to me or actually said to our researcher who passed on the information. And when we took a look, what her concerns were absolutely valid. There were, this organization was funding things that absolutely, uh, the word you use, I use all the time, antithetical to Christianity. You know, mm -hmm. you can't do some small evil and, and try to hide behind it by, looking, by pointing at all the good that you do. That's called hypocrisy, right? The sacrifice of the cross is a sacrifice. Right. Carry the cross is what Christ said, which means there's a lot of times we've got to do things we don't want to do and walk away from things that maybe we want to walk towards. Because uh, the world, as we know, is a liar, and it's full of deceit, full of deception, and paints pictures that is not true. But what you and I can control is who we give our $20 to, who we give our $1,000 to, who we give mm -hmm. our $25 a month to. We control that. And the, the conversation I just had on the floor of this ex, uh, the, the, the expo here at the March for Life was, you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing, right? It wouldn't be a bad thing if more groups started telling the truth and trying to target the funding of people like Planned Parenthood uh, to take away their money. Um, because money's the root of all evil, and a lot of people are dying, and a lot of people are getting rich off of it, and, and they're, they're killing people just to line their own pockets. And if they're not going to listen to the argument of life, if we can take their money, that's another angle. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think this is part of the mandate to speak the truth in love. It isn't about meeting up pejoratives or an argument on hominem. It's just objective facts. It's black ink on white paper. Here's your stance. People should know. End of discussion. You used a color code, which I thought was brilliant, literally like a stoplight, a green, yellow, and a red. Talk to me about the demarcation for those three colors. Of course. So if, if an organization is green, it means that they're they are, their work is supportive of pro-life uh, values, supportive of Christian values. If it's yellow, we ask you to proceed with caution because we're, we don't know, right? We don't know. And if it's red, what we found is that they support things that are antithetical to Christianity. Uh, they support abortion. They support euthanasia. They support, again, the, the, the transgender homosexual lifestyle. They support human embryonic stem cell research or contraception. Those tend to be the five things that we find. 
Um, and if we don't know, we don't know. And you're not going to see any opinion on there. What you see are facts and what you see are sentences and paragraphs and documentation um, and writings all off of their websites, off of their brochures, off of things that they promote, off of books that they wrote, off of their tax returns, off of the grants that they write or the, the grants that they've approved. Because many of these organizations hide behind the fact that you've donated money and they gave $20,000 to some group in Washington. And you know, they, 98% of what they do is good, but we weren't aware that they were supporting these particular programs that are targeting the transition of children, just intrinsically evil things. Um, and I, 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 again, it's right out of the Bible, right? The, the woman who gave the, the last coin out of her purse was the most valuable and the most sacrificial. And that, that's us. We have to be very careful with who we support and how we support them. And I'll tell you what, you've just made it to you so much easier for us with this charity watch list. When we come back, tell me some ones that we should know about. Again, you've got the green, the yellow, and the red is a coded system. I've got a link on my website, friends, so you can dig into this. This will help you now prayerfully and carefully make the right choice when it comes to your donor dollar. But if you find that someone stands in stark opposition to the principles espoused by Scripture, is this going to be where your donor dollar goes? That's between you and the Lord because you're a steward. But I'll tell you what, wisdom is important in making a wise decision back after this. We're visiting with Hugh Brown, who's the executive vice president of the American Life League, a wonderful organization that's been around since 1979. And as folks gather all across the country for the March for Life, the 51st March for Life, they're going to have a fresh new resource to help them. It's called the Charity Watch List. And by the way, that resource is now available to you and me as well. To just encapsulate what Hugh and I have been talking about, you're in a stewardship. I'm in a stewardship position with our money. We don't own anything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But you and I are given the opportunity and the responsibility of being good stewards with whatever finances the Lord puts in our hand. And that includes when we give to charitable organizations. But if you know that a charitable organization supports those ideas that are absolutely in stark opposition to the word of God, then is that where you should be giving your donor dollar? That's a question only you can ask, but Hugh is going to put that information out there. And I think it's beneficial to all of us. So Hugh, just if you could, green, yellow, and red, pick a couple in each of those categories. It's a very full report, but just pick a couple names that most people listening across the country might recognize. Of course. So everyone knows what, who the United Way is, right? And the United Way uh, literally has 34 branches um, again, these organizations, a lot of them, when we confront these things and ask about these things, a lot of times they say we have affiliates, we have branches we can't control, which is not true, right? Everyone reports up. But the United Way has 34 branches that in 2021, which is the latest tax return, 34 of those branches donated directly to Planned Parenthood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Planned, Parenthood yeah, Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin received $152,000 from the United Way. Mm. Planned Parenthood of West Palm Beach, $100,500. Uh, Planned Parenthood of Southern Arizona, Southern Arizona, seventeen thousand nine hundred. So the United Way is not what they seem. Um, uh, the, the, their mission talks about empowering and helping, uh, but when you are murdering children and supporting an organization, then in my opinion, outside of you know, maybe there are some evil governments on this planet. Outside of that, the most evil organization on this planet um, is Planned Parenthood because what they do is just atrocious. I'm a Catholic. Everyone has heard, uh, as, a, as a good Christian, we've all heard of St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, and they do a lot of good work. But they also are very involved in uh, embryonic stem cell research. They've placed ads where they 
implicitly ask and advertise and want to hire physicians and researchers who are skilled in embryonic stem cell research or induced stem cell research. And one of the other things we found in looking at St. Jude is that they, they push on kids, kids that are recovering or fighting cancer, this HPV cancer prevention uh, vaccine for ages 9 through t- 12 that is supposed to protect your child when he or she becomes a teenager, assuming they become promiscuous. Right. And then they also lead uh, children uh, resources on their website to the LGBTQ plus cancer survivors together page on their website, which affirms things such as gender affirming surgeries, a contraception, the LBGTQ plus lifestyle, just you know things that are antithetical to Christianity. Those are two uh, that we have in the red. In the green, there's a very interesting one. There is an organization that was founded by the same person that created the um, Habitat for Humanity, uh, Millard Fuller. So Millard Fuller uh, created Habitat for Humanity, which uh, tries to house, uh, build build houses and help people who are uh, in need. And he found that his own organization he founded, which he was much lesser a part of, um, was drifting away from its Christian values. So he created the Fuller Center for Housing. And we have Habitat for Humanity. That's one that is rated as yellow. Uh, because there's some things on there we're not sure about. They have they have vocal they have vocally supported some anti anti life groups uh, and anti life legislation, which they have no business being involved in. Uh, but this gentleman created the Fuller Center for Housing, and it remains faithful to to the promise to provide adequate shelter for all people in need worldwide without supporting abortion. So they're green. And another one that we have is green. It's one of uh, my favorites because when I heard it, I wondered, what is it? It's Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. <laughs> and it's an or- – what is it, right? You, is this a kid on the corner? Well, it's an organization that seeks to change the lives of children with cancer through funding impactful research, raising awareness, and supporting families. And in contrast to St. Jude, Alex's Lemonade Stand is, a, is very direct in that they do not fund proposals for research utilizing human embryonic stem cell research, and they have some very strong pro-life affirming statements that they make. There's lots of really good organizations out there, but those are ones that we've highlighted uh, for the sake of red, yellow, and green. And it, I, there are dozens and dozens and dozens, and actually coming up here to the show, the, the young lady who leads that research team was telling me there's another 60 uh, that have been requested just since the press release that you know allowed you and I to speak that we released, I think, a week ago. Wow. Uh, since that's gone out, we've had at least people request another 60 that were not – had never been asked before. So uh, what, what encourages me there is that people want to know the truth, right? I mean, we, yes, I think yes. as, as the last few years have, have gone by, our, all of our eyes have been opened that we, we're, we're, we're lied to every day. Right. And it's important, as you said, we are stewards of our money. We are stewards of our time. And my father, God rest his soul. My, my mother's a saint. My father you know, supported the organization from day one. But he was sort of the the, 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 the brains behind the, 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 the fundraising and making sure the light stayed on. He was very pragmatic. And he used to say, son, if we want to hurt him, you got to hit him in the money. Right. You got to hit him in the money because people don't know because good people, good people support these organizations. And these organizations lie and do bad things with with your money. So it's important that people just do your research. And I would encourage anyone, if you go to the website and you take a look at our, our list of, uh, I think, 60-plus organizations on there currently and another 60 in development, it's probably up to 80 now that have been posted. Um, if there's someone you'd like to know about, just send us an email. Just send us an email. We will gladly take a look because the information is public, and we don't mind taking the time to tell you the truth because the world certainly won't. 
Well, let me just encourage you, Hugh, because where I said I get all kinds of emails and communications from listeners looking for exactly this kind of information. Can you give me a recommendation? Do you know? And that's why I was so excited that you were able to set aside some time for us, particularly as you're getting ready for the march and all of its activities, because this is the sort of information people are hungry for. Once they have that information, then, and I'm this is just being objective, you're then accountable. You can't say you didn't know. I didn't know. You are without excuse if I can quote from Romans, because now you know exactly where the YMCA, the YWCA, the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Center stands, etc., 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 and then you can decide whether or not you're going to give. The second thing that you said that's particularly exciting to me, Hugh, is that this is not an end. This is a beginning, and this is an organic list that I expect because of the work that you do and because your shoulder is to the wheel on this big time. I expect this list to grow, so I want our friends to keep going back to the American Life League to watch the charity watch list and see how this list grows. I pray that God opens the door for so many people to learn about the resource while you're here in Washington, but I pray that our conversation right now that is heard all across the country will absolutely draw people to that that charity watch list so they can carefully and prayerfully be a good steward of the resources that God has put in their hand. God bless the American Life League, the Brown family, and all that you do, Hugh, and thank you for the gift of your time. Thank you, friends, for being with us. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.